2. I'm going to just read two verses here. Colossians 2, <clears throat> verse 11 and 12. This, these are some verses. If you highlight your Bible, and I do, highlight these two verses. <clears throat> because they're, they, they help you understand how we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Verse 11, in him, that's Jesus Christ, in him you were also circumcised. Now Paul's speaking to a Gentile congregation here. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Amen. Now I want to talk about the sacraments, and I want to talk about um, baptism in the Lord's Supper. Now I realize that a lot of people stumble over the word sacrament because they read their Old and New Testament, and the first thing that comes to their mind is, I can't find the word sacrament in my Bible. So are you pulling a fast theological maneuver on us, you Presbyterians, you Pastor Miller? Well, the answer is no. Um, the word sacrament, agreed, does not appear in Scripture. But you have to realize, when we try to understand biblical concepts, we have to sometimes give them names. It's a, it, it, there are biblical truths that need a name if we are to understand the significance of what we are reading in the Bible. So, for example, the word Trinity does not appear in your New Testament. But if you looked at Matthew chapter 28, what do you find? We find the command to baptize in the singular name of three different persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what do we do with that biblical data? What theology tries to do in a systematic way is to try and organize the biblical data and make sense of it theologically for us. And we have to employ names in order to do that. If, if you don't do that, you'll never really be able to understand and really study the scriptures rightly. So don't let that word sacrament throw you off. I want to explain what that means. Why do we use it? Why do we use terms like Trinity? Well, we use the word sacrament because in that word we find biblical truth and meaning. Namely this, that the scripture does mention things such as the Passover festival in the Old Covenant, circumcision. In the New Testament, we move from the Passover to the Lord's Supper. We see this, for example, in the upper room where Jesus is with his disciples at the what feast? At the Passover feast. The Passover feast, you'll remember, was the annual festival where all of Israel, at least all the males of Israel, were commanded to go, but they usually brought their families, to, they were commanded to go to Jerusalem and at twilight on the, pass, on the night of the Passover, in order to commemorate what God did in delivering his people out of slavery of Egypt. He commanded them at twilight to slaughter a lamb and to prepare it in a particular way and to eat it, and to eat it all, and to leave none left over. And if there was any left over, they were not to eat of it. They were to burn it. And it was a commemoration 
Not only was it commemorating the past, but it was pointing Israel to the future. Because in the upper room, as they're celebrating the Passover meal, what is Jesus doing? He breaks the bread and he says, this is my body. It's broken for you. He takes up the cup and he says, in this cup is my blood for the remission of sins. What Jesus was saying was what John the Baptist said at the inauguration of Jesus' public ministry, that he's the lamb of God. He's the fulfillment of the Passover lambs that they have been ceremonially slaughtering for hundreds of years, thousands of years, and even before the Mosaic economy. Abraham was offering sacrifices. We see that even Adam's children, I think one of the reasons Cain was rejected was because he didn't offer a lamb, that he was offering fruit from the field. And God said, that, no, without blood, there's no remission of sins. And, and his offering was rejected. I don't think it was just that Cain's heart, sometimes you'll hear pastors say, well, Cain's heart wasn't right, and his brother Abel's was right. Well, Cain's theology was wrong too. His heart was wrong, we know that. But I think his theology, his practice in worship was wrong. So we move from the Passover lamb to the Lord's Supper. In the like manner, what I want to argue also today is that we move from the old economy of circumcision to the New Testament of baptism. The ordinance, the sacrament, goes from the circumcision to baptism. And that's why I had you read from Colossians chapter 2. Because what is Paul doing in Colossians chapter 2? He's speaking to a new congregation, relatively new congregation in the Lord. And they're composed chiefly of Gentiles. Now, a lot of these early churches had some Jews in it too. But also, as time goes on, more and more Gentiles are being added. Now, a Gentile means you're a non-Israelite. It also meant that you didn't observe any of the old Mosaic regulations that the Jews, and that included circumcision. The problem was you had some who were called Judaizers coming into these new churches that Paul was planting around the Mediterranean. And they would say something to the effect that it is great that you believe in Jesus, but there's more. <laughs> and the more was you need to observe some of the ceremonial regulations that we Jews observe if you want to go to heaven, including circumcision. Now you can imagine for relatively new believers why this is so distressing. Because you thought by believing in Jesus, you had everything you needed to go to heaven. You thought his sacrifice was sufficient for your sins to be covered. You thought his perfect life was the righteousness by which you lived. And now you're being told that's not enough. And so this is not just uh, a little theological, you know, minutia we're talking about here, but this is, this is something that is threatening to split the church in its unity and in its purity. And so you have all of Acts chapter 15, where they hammer this out theologically. The whole church comes together and they investigate this matter and they debate it. And we're told that they debate it for a long time. Nobody calls the question and tries to get this thing over with quickly. They talk about it for a long time and they realize that the Gentiles are saved by grace, through faith, alone in Jesus Christ. They do not need to submit to the ceremonial regulation of circumcision. 
that their baptism is sufficient. So Paul is writing to these Gentile believers and he's saying, listen, don't let these guys who are coming into your assembly telling you that circumcision is necessary for heaven. Because circumcision has been replaced. It's been fulfilled in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. Circumcision was about putting off of sin. And it was about a covenant relationship with God through faith in the promise. A promise he made to a man who was as good as dead. A childless man and his elderly wife who was told that he was going to become the father of nations. And it was only by faith that that promise could be realized. Even they had trouble believing it. Sarah laughed. And yet God was what? Faithful to the promise. And the sign of God's faithfulness was to be found in circumcision. And yes, women were represented in circumcision through their father and their husband. They were not excluded. But we see that once Jesus Christ comes, everything to which that circumcision was pointing ahead to has been fulfilled in Jesus. Now there needs to be a new sign for the reality of Jesus' finished work. Circumcision no longer can be a sufficient sign. It was a sign that was sufficient for the old economy. But now, in, in this new age of Christ, we, we need a, a new sign to recognize what Christ has done once and for all. And so, baptism was commanded. Paul says to these Colossian believers, you've been circumcised. And they're like, what? What do you mean, Paul? <laughs> What do you mean I've been circumcised? Paul says, no, no, you've been circumcised theologically. Spiritually, you've been circumcised. You've been circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands, not made by the hands of a physician or a rabbi. You've been circumcised by Christ spiritually. By believing in Jesus Christ, you have the reality of which Abraham looked ahead from a distance and saw and rejoiced in. You see, the Pharisees, where they were trusting in themselves, we are the children of Abraham. We've been circumcised, and we can prove it. But no, Jesus says, if you were really the children of Abraham, you would believe. And so, the, as we move from the old economy to the new in Jesus Christ, baptism now begins to replace circumcision. Gentile believers in Jesus Christ do not need to be circumcised as they were in the old covenant. They are circumcised through faith in Jesus Christ, and it is represented by way of baptism, which now, by the way, is for male and female in the, in the waters of baptism. So Paul is saying, don't let these Judaizers disturb your peace. Don't let them upset you, but, but continue to look to Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ alone and to recognize your baptism. Now, I was listening prior to this uh, sermon to uh, Sinclair Ferguson on the subject of baptism, and he made some interesting comments. He said, the things that we make much of in baptism are really the lesser matters. And he said, we make too little of what is really important about baptism. You know, when we discuss baptism, usually it's about two things. The, the subject, who is to be baptized, and the mode. How much water do we use? 
Um, those are the two things that seem to consume us. But that really is the lesser. Baptism is a sign and it is a seal of our engrafting into Jesus Christ. And that's why it seems strange to evangelical ears who make much about the mode and the subject of baptism when they hear Martin Luther say, when he was troubled, I am a baptized man. That when Luther was fighting against the devil, he would encourage himself by saying what? I am baptized. And the reason that I think sounds so strange to us as evangelicals is probably because we don't appreciate baptism. Baptism is really not a big deal. I think that's why some people put it off. I think of that and infant mortality rates have gone so down. You know, they take it for granted that their children will live into their teenage years. Don't, don't, don't underestimate sociology influencing theology. What we really need in, in, in baptism is to see our union with Jesus Christ. Again, if I could borrow from Dr. Ferguson, Dr. Ferguson, he gives this interesting illustration. He says, imagine a couple men from Mars come down to planet Earth and they observe your life for several days, weeks. They observe the lives of all of us in this church. Their assignment when they get back to Mars is to write a paper on what does baptism mean. Isn't that an interesting illustration? That is, that, that we should have an understanding of baptism by the way we live. Baptism is a sign and a seal of God's covenant of grace. It's a sign of my union with Jesus Christ and that my life is completely hidden in Christ. Bob Inc., Herman Bobink, and I'm borrowing heavily from Bobink too today, he says this, he says, theology employs many terms that do not occur in scripture and that have acquired technical meaning in their own sphere. He says, if theology had to refrain from using such terms, such as sacrament, it would have to cease from all scientific labor, all preaching, all exegesis of God's word, and indeed, even in the translation of scripture, it would be impermissible. We, we need to understand that a sacrament is a theological concept. And what does it communicate? Well, let me read, first of all, from our shorter catechism. I keep a catechism in the front of my Bible. And in question number 92, we have a definition that many of you know by heart. What is a sacrament? A sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ. So we know that if it's to really be a sacrament, Christ had to command it to be done. And, and, and the reason we emphasize that is because there are other churches and denominations that believe there are more than two sacraments, more than baptism and Lord's Supper. The trouble is Christ didn't institute a number of them. It has to be something that Christ himself said we had to do. Wherein, by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are, number one, represented, two, sealed, and thirdly, applied to believers. So that in the sign and seal of the sacrament, first of all, we derive this benefit. Number one is this, that believers may understand, that you will understand more clearly what is represented 
in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing and that of the word, but God has given us sensible signs in the baptism and in the Lord's Supper by which your faith is strengthened. That is, God communicates, if you will, boys and girls, by way of pictures, too. Not pictures we come up with or we draw, but pictures that he has commanded to be done. And what are those pictures? It's the breaking of the bread, right? It's the cup. It's the washing away of sin with the water. So we, our knowledge of the gospel is to be strengthened by the sacraments. Number two, you are to be reassured as a believer in Christ of God's promises for you personally and individually. Now, Billy is going to be baptized today. But as we watch Billy being engrafted into the visible church, the visible body of Christ, we are to be reminded of God's promises to us and our children also. Here again, this is a little foreign to many evangelicals. But we have to remember what the Apostle Paul said to the Philippian jailer. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. Many evangelicals lop off that last part. They say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's not what Paul said. That you and your household will be saved. These are promises for us and for our children. So these are promises for you, children. So when you watch Billy being baptized today, it's, the, the point is not so that Billy remembers his own baptism. It's so that we as a church might remember Christ and what he's done. And here again, this is where I think the majority of evangelicals put the sacraments or the ordinances of baptism on their head. They get it all wrong. It's upside down. Most evangelicals are saying, look at what I have done. I have made a commitment to Christ. See what I am doing in following Jesus Christ. That is not the point of baptism. Baptism is God saying, don't look at you, don't look at him. Look at Christ. The sacraments are not pointing to ourselves. That's why Ferguson was saying the things that are most significant about the sacraments are the things that are least understood. And the things that we tend to argue about are, the, are actually the secondary tertiary matters. We are, we are to understand the gospel more clearly, but we are also to be reassured of God's promises and the benefits of the covenant of grace. They are, to use the language of the Puritans, God's personal love letters to you. This is Christ coming to you, reassuring you of his love for you, what he has done for you. I have lived for you. I've died for you. See the bread. Taste the cup of wine. Look at the waters of baptism in grafting this young person or this new professing believer in Jesus Christ. And be reassured that these promises are for you as well. So the, the, the sacraments under the blessing of God are for the enlightenment of your mind, but they are to move your affections and your will. They are to engage the entirety of our humanity. 
Now these signs are taken from very simple things, things that are visible. Boys and girls, it's ordinary water. I got it out from the back that we're going to use today. Okay, you don't have to go to Israel and get it out of the Jordan and such. It's just ordinary water. Ordinary bread, right? Regular baked bread. Ordinary wine or the fruit of the vine, juice there. But what these ordinary symbols are doing is they are depicting by analogy truths that are invisible that are spiritual and that must be received by faith. Now this is what separates us from Roman Catholicism on this point. Because the Roman Catholic Church teaches that the sacraments are holy and they work in what they call ex operate, operato, meaning that they, it, it, it is simply by the ingestion of the holy bread and wine you receive a blessing from God. We are saying no, that it must be received by faith we must look at the waters of baptism by faith. If, they are, if we are to derive benefits from the Lord's table and from baptism, you and I and the whole congregation together, we must exercise faith in Jesus Christ. Also, not only are they a sign of the gospel, that is, it's a picture of the gospel, but it is also a seal. Now, here the, the word seal should not be understood as maybe something sticky so much, but like a seal on the diploma. That is, the, it's the seal of authenticity. You know, remember when you were a kid and you read, you know, the little grade school books and certain books had the gold seal on them saying, you know, some association of librarians or whoever said, this is a really great kid's book, you know. And so you're like, oh, look, it's got this, you know, the, the star on it. And, you know, I'll check this one out. Um, or, you know, you go to the doctor's office, you know that Norman Rockwell painting, right, where the, the kid's about to get a shot from the doctor and he's looking at the uh, diploma of the, uh, on the wall of the doctor, <laughs> you know. <laughs> he wants to make certain that this doctor is authentic, right? What med school did you go to? Where's the seal on this diploma here? The, the, the sacraments serve in, 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 a, in that way. It's, it's a confirmation of the trustworthiness of God's word. It's, it's a confirmation of the trustworthiness, the veracity of the promises of God. They, they are bringing forth visibly to us, sensibly to us, to confirm and to validate what God has written in the word. Now, be careful here. We do not divorce word from sacrament. They are distinct, but they're never to be separated. That is, that the sacraments come under the word. We try to even visibly demonstrate this in the way we set the church up here. Notice that the word is above the Lord's table and the baptismal font. The sacraments come under the word and, and they are not valid without the word. Now, the word of God is the promise and, and the, the ordinances are the sign and the seal of God's word. Does that make sense? So that's why, for example, we don't do private communion. That's why I don't come over to your house and say, hey, would you like to, you know, break bread and have a little wine together and I'll, I'll serve you privately the Lord's Supper. It's, it's, it, it is to be done in the context of, of worship, of the preaching of the word. And that's why, ladies, 
You know, if you want communion at your wedding, I'm not going to do it. Okay, so let's just put it out there right now. We're not doing private communion at your wedding. Oh, but that'd be so sweet if the first thing we did is the husband and wife was had communion. Well, <laughs> the Bible says it's, it's a congregational meal. Um, it is not, it's not just, you know, because, oh, that, that would be a nice sentimental thing to do. Now, there are extraordinary cases, the sick and the infirm, who cannot. You know, we had a woman who for over two years was bedridden in this membership of this church. So what do you do there? Well, we would, we would hold a service periodically in her home. Some of the elders, deacons, others, you know, come. We'd have a brief service. We'd sing, and there would be preaching. And in the, under that, we would have the Lord's Supper served. But those are the extraordinary situations there. Um, we, we, when we observe this, we are doing this uh, congregationally, corporately together. Now, there is a relationship or a connection between the thing that is signified and the sign itself. That is, for example, you will see water poured on Billy's head this morning. So what does that signify? That's the sign, the water coming down upon him. But what is being signified? Well, it's signifying the work of Christ. The washing of sinners is the work of Jesus Christ in his cross. And so the Reformed Church has held to the spiritual communication um, uh, of the sacraments. That is, we, we receive them by faith. So Billy, who presently is an infant, as he grows by the grace of God in, in stature and favor with man and with God, and as his understanding grows and as we trust that by the Spirit's work his faith grows, he will need to apprehend what has been set forth in the sign in the baptism. He will need to exercise faith. He will need to come to the point where he says, I am a baptized boy. I am a baptized man. That the baptism is not irrelevant to him, even though he be an infant. But to recognize that from his earliest days, as the psalmist said, while yet, you know, when I was yet with my mother, I was with thee. That Billy has always been in covenant with the Lord and that we pray by God's grace he'll never know a day that he didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Um, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we're, we're told that the believers in the early church, they devoted themselves to certain things. Number one was the apostles' teaching. Second was, it says, Luke tells us it was fellowship. Third was the breaking of the bread. That is, they also engaged in the, I believe here, the, the breaking of the bread is uh, language signifying the Lord's Supper. They, they participated in the sacraments. Now, why do I say that? Well, you'll remember that Luke is the one who writes uh, about the upper room discourse, and, 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 and he's one of them, and he writes... Uh, that Jesus broke the bread and gave it to his disciples. He's using that same language in the book of Acts, that, the, that they broke the bread. There's a definitive article in the Greek there, just trust me. Um, <laughs> and it's not, you know, it's not breaking of bread. It's not, let's go to Cracker Barrel. No, it's, it's breaking of the bread, the bread. 
What's the bread? The bread, I think, is the same bread that was broken in the upper room. Jesus and his disciples, when Jesus broke the bread, it's the Lord's Supper that's being broken there. This is one of the reasons we, we believe that the Lord's Supper should be uh, um, performed regularly as a church. This was a part of what the early church did. And some people will argue, well, it'll make it less special. No, I, I think it, it will show it's more special. Um, we, we don't think less of preaching because we do it every Sunday. Um, and so they, they gave themselves to preaching, teaching, fellowship, breaking of the bread, and, and prayers as well. And so they, they committed themselves uh, to prayer. Now, how did we get the word sacrament? All right, let's talk about this quickly here. Sacrament is a Latin word, all right? And, and uh, you know, the Romans conquered the Greeks, but the Greeks also, in a way, conquered the Romans. Uh, one conquered, the Romans conquered militarily, and the Greeks conquered culturally in some ways. But, um, so, the word sacrament is, is a Latin word that they took from a Greek word. Uh, with the Greek word is mysterion. Now, you probably can guess an English derivative from mysterion. Right? Sounds like boys and girls what? Mysterious, right? It, and, and what is what is mysterion? Mysterion is a term that Paul uses to explain the gospel. He said that, that these things were hidden in the past, but now they've been revealed in Jesus Christ. These mysteries, which, which were long ages hidden, now have been revealed. Abraham didn't know everything you know. He didn't know all the details about Christ and about Christ's sufferings that you know. You and I have a privilege of knowing something about the mystery of the gospel that the, the saints in the Old Testament, they trusted in, but they had a very dim view of, all right? Dim is in not a negative view, but they just looked at it from a very long, far away perspective. And so the word sacrament is simply a Latin word for a Greek word that is in your Bible. So I, I do want you to see the connection because some people are worried, wait a minute, Presbyterians, you're hanging on to Roman Catholic theology too much here. No, no. It, it, is, it, it means incomprehensible. The sacrament um, it is rooted in the Bible. Now, over the age of especially in the early years of the church. The church had trouble, though, I will admit, trying to figure out how many sacraments there were. Um, even some of, the, some of the greats didn't always agree. Uh, there's, uh, there was a guy, Hugo St. Victor, who believed there were 30. Augustine believed the Nicene Creed and the Lord's Prayer were sacraments. Uh, in addition, Bernard of Clairvaux cites at least nine. And of course, you know the Roman Catholic Church, seven. But I think as time went on and we continue to, under the grace of God, study the scriptures, I think we've come to the right answer, that there are fundamentally two. Two that have been ordained by Jesus Christ and um, that are used to picture the gospel clearly. And that is baptism and the Lord's Supper. One thing that all, uh, despite the fact that there were many different lists of what the sacraments were by different people and authors and theologians, those two were never in question. So that is, if you look at everybody's list, the, the two that were always on everybody's list was baptism and the Lord's Supper. 
And, and Augustine made it clear that the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper got their efficacy from the preached word. Listen to what Augustine says. He says, take away the word, the preaching of the word, and the water is neither more nor less water. The word is added to the element, and its result is the sacrament, Augustine said. So that it is, is the word of God as applied in the administration of the ordinance that makes it a sacrament. It makes it something that Christ has ordained to be done in his church to communicate the gospel, to reassure you as God's people that you belong to him, and it points ultimately to himself and not to us. It is for us, but it points to the Lord. And so we see that it is Christ, uh, Augustine says, it is Christ himself who baptizes. It is Christ himself who celebrates the Lord's Supper in his church. That is, Christ brings real communion with his people. That is, these are not just empty memorials by which we just stir up our imagination, but it is Christ by his spirit in our midst, bringing blessing. Now, we, I think evangelicals, we know this instinctively, don't we, when it comes to preaching. But for some reason, we struggle when it comes to the sacraments. Because you and I, we've all experienced it. You, you, you're, you drag yourself into church. It's been a tough week. And you haven't been feeling particularly close to the Lord. You come into worship, and suddenly it's as though God flipped a switch on in your life just through one single sermon. The preached word came with such power to your own soul, you said, Woo! I felt that blessing. I felt refreshed by the strengthening of God's word. And we get that, and we don't have a problem with it. But for some reason, evangelicals, when it comes to baptism and the Lord's Supper, don't seem to come with the same kind of expectancy. What Augustine is teaching, and Billy is looking right at me, he is very attentive, thank you, Billy, that, uh, <laughs> that, that Christ, just as he blesses you through the preached word, he blesses you through the table. He blesses you through the baptism. That these, these are not only uh, empty signs or mere memorials, but these are real instruments of communion with the Lord. My soul gets refreshment. Now, if you are not being refreshed from the Lord's table, we need, to, we need to check our foundations here. We need to ask ourselves, well, am I preparing myself as I should be for the Lord's table? Am I examining myself? You know, am I giving myself to extra prayer, you know, Saturday night and maybe Sunday morning to come to the Lord's table? We need to, we need to ask ourselves, why? You know, why am I not finding refreshment from these ordinances that God has instituted for that very purpose? So these things, I need to sum up here, these things confer God's pledge to you and to your children. They are intended to strengthen your faith. And they, they are there to assure you that you are his children and to testify that we are his people. When we observe the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, something special is happening. What we are doing is what is called covenant renewal. We're renewing the covenant 
with our God. We, we are pledging ourselves anew that we are his people and he is our God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for today's lesson and uh, thank you, Lord, for uh, the ordinances, the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. And now, Lord, as we uh, observe the administration of these two sacraments, we pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would, by his Spirit, superintend and do the baptism, that Billy would be baptized not only with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.